Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Policy Pack Software, where you use group policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And also, of course, by Liquidware, the platform-agnostic workspace solutions provider. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. This week, Citrix announced they are going to acquire a company called Rike. Rike make a CRM product, which is a collaborative work management software. Um, it's a SaaS-based CRM, and products such as this have been becoming even more popular in the last year, with teams becoming more dispersed due to work from home. The acquisition is said to be worth two and a quarter billion dollars. According to ZDNet, Citrix said Reich is expected to have approximately 30% standalone growth to between 180 million dollars and 190 million dollars in unaudited SaaS ARR in 2021 with the opportunity to accelerate growth over time as part of Citrix. So 190 million dollars growth in 2021 alone paying 2.25 billion dollars doesn't seem that crazy a price tag I guess when you think of it like that although for a company like Citrix They really must be thinking of completely changing their offering to invest so heavily in this area. And as many in the community expressed wonderment about why they acquired Reich when they already own Podio. So it's as though maybe they're throwing money at the wall to see what sticks. Although I do feel even though I like Podio, I think compared to some other similar products, maybe it's dated a little bit now probably due to a lack of serious development whilst in the ownership from Citrix. So hopefully if they're buying Rike and it's already got a solid user base plus this significant projected growth for the next year, they keep up the development and keep a focus on the product. But regardless of that, congratulations to Rike, their employees. That's a great accomplishment for them. And also good luck to Citrix and Rike in the future. ZDNet reported on a really crazy story this week. A laptop retailer in Germany has been fined 10.4 million euros for a GDPR violation due to keeping its employees under constant video surveillance at all times for the past two years without any legal basis. Officials said the video surveillance system was active at all times and recordings were saved for as much as 60 days in the company's database. The report suggests that this is the second fine that the same LFD office has imposed, the regulatory office, on a company for video monitoring employees. A Hamburg-based data regulator previously fined H&M 35.3 million euros last October for a similar offense of keeping employees under constant video surveillance. The article also states that this may be somewhat common of a practice in Germany, which I find a little odd. I actually worked on a project in Ireland 
for a customer who insisted on surveillance cameras within the office. But due to an EU directive at the time, and this is many years ago, us employees had to provide consent to being filmed and the footage could only be viewed if there was a belief a crime was being committed. Our employer also was pretty cool about it and gave us the option to work on a different project if we felt uncomfortable with it. So I'm surprised like with GDPR and extra regulation in place around this that it could still be a common practice elsewhere. I guess I worked for a pretty cool employer at the time in hindsight compared to some of these companies. Google have released version 88 of Chrome. And with this release, they are permanently removing support for Adobe Flash Player. So that's not surprising. If you've been following the podcast or even just tech news in general, Adobe Flash Player is now end of life. But ZDNet also reports that this version includes removal of support for accessing FTP links inside of Chrome. So that's a pretty interesting one and it makes sense from a security perspective, I think. And it seems like Google overall with each release are becoming much more security focused with their browser releases. So hopefully that's something that keeps up and other modern browsers benefit from it from pulling from the Chromium code base. Three months ago, I covered a post by Reddit user NetInfused about an ESXi ransomware attack his team had endured. He has been kind enough to post an update on Reddit. Over the last three months, other organizations have been hit by the same ransomware. And he has described how the attack went, at least in his case. He said that three users inside the company clicked and installed a Trojan that was sent through an email. He says they use Office 365 with no Defender ATP. The attackers escalated privileges using known vulnerability CVE-2020-1472. He says the workstations had Kaspersky antivirus, which at the time didn't have the signature for the Trojan. It came a few days later. Oof, if only it was a few days early. Attackers then gained access to hosts that had access to ESXi's management subnet as they already got AD admin privileges at this point. Without having to compromise vCenter, they were able to run arbitrary code on the ESXi host using the vulnerability CVE-2019-5544 or 2020-3992. This led to the creation of a Python executable file on ESXi hosts which led to the VMs getting encrypted. And he shared a link to a pretty comprehensive breakdown of the steps that he's concisely outlined. To help other people, he also had a list of recommendations too. So he recommended that you disable the VMware SIM server because it's on by default. You apply least privileges on your Active Directory administration, always a good thing. You segregate admin and domain admin accounts on AD, always a good thing too. Have a group policy object to log out users on inactivity instead of disconnecting them on remote desktop servers. 100% agree. That is like a glaring omission in most organizations, I feel. And I'm actually using ControlUp in my environment right now. So if sessions go idle for two hours, it forces the session to log off. So not just disconnect. And really, I had it set to an hour, but people complained. I think it should be set to an hour or even less. 
He says you should also audit actions on domain admin accounts. You should review the backup routines and make sure they aren't reachable by an attacker. You should maintain offsite read-only backups to make sure recovery is possible. True. Uh, you should constitute an isolated network for ESXi vCenter, which needs to have its access audited using a jump server. You should maintain access controls by IP to vCenter and ESXi. You should remove vCenter Active Directory integration and maintain distinct passwords. You should maintain SSH disabled on all ESXi hosts. Though he says that that one would not have saved them, and I think that at least is usually pretty common. People only enable it as they need it and then quickly disable it afterwards. You should implement the usage of Canary files monitored by Seam. You should maintain internal campaigns to educate about phishing, which that makes a whole lot of sense because step one was through a phishing campaign. You should use two-factor authentication wherever it is possible, especially on admin accounts, yes. You should patch Windows servers, workstations, ESXi servers, backup servers, vCenter as frequently as possible and in more automated ways, reviewing, reporting on failed patch installation to assure all gear is always kept up to date. And I think that's also a pretty important point as well because I hear about a lot of organizations who stay one month behind on patching with the idea being, well, let others take the risk when there's a problem with a patch and it breaks something, that will give Microsoft and customers time to report on it and get it resolved before they take the patches. But these days, attackers are moving so quickly, it's not worth the risk. You have to button it up and you need to patch pretty quickly after the patches become available, in my opinion. And I teased a little bit of a blog post that I'm working on around InfoSec and security tips. I haven't had the time to really flesh it out and make sure it's all good to go, but I will do that hopefully soon and I'll share with this podcast uh, when I do have it posted. Bleepingcomputer.com reported this week that servers with RDP open are being used to amplify denial of service attacks. This particular amplification attack vector is using Windows servers that have RDP enabled on UDP port 3389. And it's said to have an amplification ratio of 85.9 to 1, and it's peaking at about 750 gigabits per second. So not a tiny attack, but also nowhere near some of the mammoth denial of service attacks that I've reported on in the last few years. It's said that around 14,000 vulnerable Windows RDP servers are reachable over the internet, according to a NetScout advisory. And you can certainly see a lot of them if you subscribe to Shodan service and look up 3389 because <laughs> it is pretty horrifying. Organizations impacted by attacks abusing their Windows RDP servers as amplifiers can experience complete shutdown of remote access services. To properly mitigate the impact of such attacks, organizations can either completely disable the vulnerable UDP-based service on Windows RDP servers or make the servers available only via VPN by moving them behind a VPN concentrator networking device, which is not great. <laughs> ZDNet this week reported on research by Sentinel-1 regarding a macOS.osa minor cyber attack campaign that has been going on over the last five years via pirated games and software such as League of Legends and Microsoft Office for Mac. 
They state that while there is a potential for pretty serious attacks to happen via this type of attack vector, this particular campaign has not used any of the more harmful potential strategies that they could have. They do warn that the attack vector through pirated software remains wide open as a means to distribute malicious code, but in this campaign it hasn't been as bad as it could. Microsoft have released MSIX packaging tool January 2021. It includes some improvements like it now allows installers in the path variable to be specified without giving the full path. They fixed an issue where clicking in the same line in package files didn't work to highlight an item. They've now removed device guard signing version one support, and they've also just had some general bug fixes. Tim Mangan also pointed out that it appears this release includes a fix for file type associations getting set incorrectly, which is something that I've encountered quite a bit with it. So that's a relief to me at least. And sticking with MSIX, Microsoft have launched MSIX Labs for developers, which is a hands-on labs experience to help developers learn how to modernize their desktop apps by taking advantage of MSIX. The labs have been carefully designed to implement one feature per exercise, intentionally delivering bite-sized information and eventually building up your tool set so you can give your desktop app a true makeover. There were some mine, obviously. And hey, bite-sized information, that's my thing, Microsoft, lay off. Control Up this week released a new stress level calculator tool. This is excellent for figuring out what to set your stress levels to by analyzing what the usage is like in your environment and what the percentile is. So you can adjust the stress levels based on actual metrics gained from within your environment. So no guesswork like you might have to do with some other products or even like you might have had to do with control up in the past. You also don't have to sieve through the data manually to try and figure it out yourself. This tool helps you along the way. So pretty cool. Citrix's VDA command line helper tool, which is a graphical user interface to help Citrix admins configure advanced installation options for Citrix VDAs, now supports version 2012 of Citrix virtual apps and desktops. And now on this episode, a weekly webinar. Thanks to my buddy Shane Kleinert for sharing this one, but he'll be doing a webinar on bring your creative ideas to life with automated nanobot and Citrix session recording. The webinar is going to take place on Wednesday, February 3rd from 7 p.m. GMT to 8 p.m. GMT, which I believe is 11 a.m. Pacific and 2 p.m. Eastern for those in the U.S. The description goes, streamline your recordings while protecting the security of sensitive data in Citrix. Automate Intelligent Session Recording Nanobot is the industry's first drop-in solution that enables automated, intelligent, and programmatic pause and resume session recording for security compliance. The Nanobot configures in minutes and allows enterprises to meet their session recording compliance challenges and needs. So for example, if you've got phone support working in sales and they're inputting sensitive information like maybe social security numbers or credit card information or something like that and they're using a product or a tool for recording their session that does not obfuscate that data you could use this as a solution but even so if you do have software that scrubs some data like social security numbers and 
what have you, often those products can't handle absolutely everything that you or your customers would consider are sensitive. Whereas with this solution, you can obfuscate whatever you would like through Citrix session recording with Automate. Topics covered during the webinar include an introduction to Citrix session recording, an introduction to Automate, brief highlight of Automate app loader capabilities that can extend customers' ability to enhance CVAD builds, rollouts, and assist with continuous updates, a brief highlight of services they can offer customers with Automate partnership, continuous monitoring, and robotic process automation, plus live demos of the features, which is obviously going to be the coolest part. I've been lucky enough to work with Automate over the last few months, and I think it's one of the coolest pieces of tech that I've got to work with in a long, long time. So even if this use case of session recording and, and blocking out sensitive inf information is not relative to you, I would say check it out just to see what Automate is about and what it can do because it's really, really powerful stuff. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. James Rankin posted another part in his series of blog posts on the ultimate guide to Windows logon optimizations. So this part is just as comprehensive as the other parts, with some really great performance analysis complete with some very insightful and pretty looking charts. So check that out along with the other parts of the series. Michael Nihas posted another great blog post too, this time on how to build your own Windows PE image and it's complete with a script that he created that you can download to help get you started. Wendy Gay posted an excellent article on Citrix Gateway and Enlightened Data Transport, or EDT as it's more commonly referred to in the community. I say it all the time, but with the increased remote work, people are looking at how to enhance and modernize the remote access solutions that they already had in place. And for Citrix customers, this is a good place to start and to look at. I had a conversation with my buddy Shane Kleinert, who's gonna be in that webinar that I mentioned on this episode, about how he is leveraging UDP with EDT for improving the experience for remote call center workers who rely on VoIP for their work. And I know that Unified Communications, Teams, Cisco Jabber, and all these different products have been a bit of a pain in the neck for IT admins to manage while people go remote. And this is one way that you can help yourself. So check that out. Ben Whitmore and Zero Day Dorfer on Twitter shared a config man pivot query to retrieve flash installs and information on specific versions in your environment. So obviously, as I've been covering for weeks, flash is now end of life. And if you want to see what's out in your environment, you could run these queries. BISF version 7.0. 1912.6 has been released. This version brings in a lot of great enhancements for Citrix WEM, including help with some of those nuances around the cache management with WEM agent startup cache options. So that includes refreshing cache, refreshing settings, refreshing settings and refreshing cache, or refreshing cache and reinitializing. So James Kinden also has some really great blog posts and content around managing the WEM cache. But together, these are really great resources. And if you've never set up WEM and you're looking at it, you should really start and look at this. This will make your setup a whole lot easier. Thorsten had one that's not necessarily enterprise IT related, but you know, last week I covered the move away from WhatsApp 
because it seemed like a lot of people in the community were talking about it. Well, he has a tip on how you can download your Google data, including Gmail, photos, music, location, data, drive, and more. And also, Louis Wu shared a useful link to check within your Google account to see what interactions Google has had with your applications. So it can be some really eye-opening stuff. And I'll also say, if you're thinking about getting rid of your Facebook, you are entitled to all your data and information. So you can actually request to download all your pictures and everything you've posted if you'd like before canceling or closing your account. So if you are considering it, hopefully that makes things a little easier. Well, that's it for another episode of the podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.